Well, I want to welcome all of you who are joining us today online. We're so grateful that you're here. Thank you for being a part of this service from wherever you are in this country or around the world. We're just so grateful that you've joined us to worship the Lord together. And for all of our campuses, for all of you who are on are in person on, any of, on all of our campuses, we welcome you to this service. We're gonna do something very different today. Pastor Xavier and I mm-hmm. are going to do what we've never done before. Do our best we're gonna to to preach to together <laughs> and we're gonna go through this last of five key moral issues mm-hmm that we've been walking through. We're in a series entitled Refocus and we're wanting to understand better of what God's word teaches about especially five key moral issues. We've been through sexuality, we've been through poverty and abortion and immigration and now racism. Racism. And we're gonna take this on together. And um, all of this to get a better idea of what does God say to us? What does he teach us in God's word? So we said no politics, no politics, just Bible, and we've stayed true to that. Next week, I'm going to wrap all of this up on a message related to the idea of religious freedom, mm-hmm. and I hope that you will not miss next Sunday. But now, Pastor Xavier, <laughs> I hand it to you, and you right. lead us on. No pressure. Um, <laughs> good morning, church. My name is Xavier. I have the wonderful privilege of serving as the high school pastor here. And like he said, we have about 33 minutes to teach you all that we've ever discussed about racism. So lock in. <laughs> Jokes, of course. Um, like I said, my name is Xavier. My wife and I moved into our house last November. It was cold and it's new construction. So they had just put our lawn down. In the middle of me being absent-minded, I actually forgot this very important responsibility of mine. I forgot that it was my responsibility to tend and upkeep the grass. And so it wasn't growing in the winter, but then spring hit, it rained one time. And I remember glancing out in my yard and there were weeds about as tall as a five-year-old. And so now I'm embarrassed and the HOA has sent me an email and they've sent me a letter and I have to run around and fix it. So I go to the store and I commit a cardinal sin as a man. I buy an electric lawnmower. Uh, I'll pause and let you judge me. It's okay. Pretty confident in my manhood. Also used to own a four-cylinder Mustang, so do with that what you wish. Bump me down, do whatever. Uh, The point is, I finally started to upkeep the grass, but there was this one part in between my yard and where my neighbor's yard would be that I could not get under control. There were all of these weeds over there for whatever reason. And then the matter was made worse when my neighbor moved in because the landscapers put his grass right over my grass and created the best portion possible for some type of weeds to grow in. And every time I saw him, I would pull him and I had a conversation. I said, hey, if you see him, you pull him. Because if we don't take care of this issue, it will make both of our lawns look bad. And what's the point that I'm trying to make here, family, is that you and I share a metaphorical yard called earth. And we have a responsibility to tend the weeds of prejudice that try to arise That's in right. our own yards. You're right. Because if we let prejudice and racism go unchecked in our own yard, then what it will do is it will grow and infect the rest of our yard, causing everybody who looks at not just you, but who looks at the local church to say, if they can't get this issue together, why would I trust them with my soul? Yeah. And so family, we have two things that we need to agree on. And before that is this, well, racism has more to do with the condition of our hearts than the color of our skin. That's right. 
has more to do with the condition of our hearts than the color of our skin. And as we have this conversation, there are two truths that you and I have to agree on even as we approach the Bible. And it is this, number one, that we all have the potential for prejudiced thoughts or weeds in our yard. And that I cannot sit and listen to a sermon like this and go, this part doesn't apply to me because we all have the potential for prejudice in our lives. And number two, we cannot treat a problem that we don't believe exists. And so you and I have to acknowledge that this is an issue that it is our responsibility to deal with. Every study on the subject of prejudice and bigotry in ancient times that we could find and today all show that every civilization, every country, every ethnicity, every group has struggled with the issue of racism and prejudice as far back as we can read and find. And it is because of this. This is your first fill in the blank. There is a sinful and evil nature in all of mankind that needs to somehow feel superior to someone else in order to feel good about themselves. If you look around the world today, there's racism between black and white. There's racism that exists between Japanese and Chinese, between Central American and Mexican, between African and African-American, between Indian and Pakistani. And this isn't simply a modern issue. It isn't simply an American issue. It isn't quite simply just black and white. It, It is an issue that it is our responsibility, especially as a diverse community of believers to deal with. And so as we have our sermon today, what we're going to do is we're going to tee up and read a couple of scriptures to get God's picture and view and idea of racism that Pastor Mark is going to teach us. And then afterwards, we'll come back and see what's the key to getting across this gap and this boundary. So Pastor Mark, what what does the scripture have to say to us about racism? You know, I really appreciate the comment that you've made because the truth is it reminds me a few, several months ago, it's been a while, Mm -hmm. one of the members of our church who's Chinese and I were having a conversation and, and uh, he said to me that when he was a little boy, his family moved from China to Indonesia. Mm. And he said he spent his entire childhood being bullied and mistreated in Indonesia. Mm. I said, why? I asked him why? And he said, because Indonesians don't like Chinese. And all these guys that I was in school with were taught that Chinese were terrible, horrible people, and I'm Chinese. And I said, well, what caused that? He said, I don't have the slightest idea. I just know that in the beginning years of my life, I just went through constant bullying Mm. only because we had moved to Indonesia from China. You're right. This is, this is a problem that is more than just America, more than just now, more than just between white and black. This is a human problem that is sinful, but it shouldn't be the problem that Christ followers have. We should rise above this moment as followers of Jesus Christ. And that is what Pastor Xavier and I are talking about in this message together. Uh, So if we're going to deal with the subject of racism, what is racism? Well, racism is the discrimination against another human being on the basis of ethnicity. On the basis of ethnicity, on the basis of appearances. Uh, Go back in the New Testament. uh, Either the first or the second book that was written in the New Testament was actually the book of James. The first book was either the book of Galatians or the book of James. And then the other one was the second. 
So if James, the book of James that is written by James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, whether he's the first book or the second, notice that in the second chapter of James, he's already dealing with the whole issue of bigotry, the whole issue of of, uh, uh, prejudice. And notice what he says in the verse, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. That word favoritism actually in the Greek is actually a formation of two Greek words. The first of those words mean face, and the second of those words means to grab hold of, to grab hold of the face. That's that's the idea of the word, meaning outward appearances. And he says this, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Are you truly an, a disciple of Christ? You've given your heart to Christ? Then those who are Christ followers... It should not be the characteristic of our life to judge people on the basis of outward appearance because that's not how Christ's followers are to be. When you go back in the book of Proverbs chapter 24, verse 23, it says, these also are sayings of the wise. This is Solomon talking. And then he says, now here is the list. He goes through a list. And the first one on the list is partiality and judging is not good. And he uses the same Hebrew equivalent of the word, it means to make a judgment on the basis of appearance. Uh, We shouldn't do that, he says. And then Jesus in John chapter seven, verse 24 says, do not judge by appearances. How, How obvious could you be? But judge with the right judgment. So what's the right judgment? What Jesus taught us is that we're to judge by the character of a person. Not by the outward appearance of someone, but the inward appearance of someone, who a person actually is on the inside. I've taught on the subject of racism, I don't know how many times here, in my pastorate at Sugar Creek, but I took all those messages, I looked at different ones that I had preached, and I just set them aside and said, God, God I, want you to, I want you to open my heart to things that I have not yet seen about this topic, because the truth is, if your radar gets up, you, there's, it's everywhere, in the Old Testament, New Testament, that God deals with the subject of bigotry, of prejudice, of racism, it's everywhere. And so I started bringing together passages of scripture and it all started coming together with this idea. If we look down on others because of their outward characteristics, we are actually rejecting specific things about God's plan. So what, what, does, that, what does that mean? Well, I came up with four things that I saw laying out in Scripture. So I want to walk with you through those four things. The first is this, that racism actually devalues God's creation. God's creation. If you'll notice that all through this series, uh, Pastor Xavier, Pastor Juan Carlos, uh, I did this with the sermon, my message on abortion, Pastor Ender, last week. All of us took the idea that our relationship with each other, with other people in the moral issues, from the womb to the tomb, has to do with how seriously we take what the Bible teaches about all people being made in the image of God. Wow, yes sir, that's good. Are we really made into the image of God? The whole idea of the image of God is one of those great doctrines of the faith that informs us of how we are to treat each other. Yes, sir. Mm. The image of God, he gave to every one of us a sense of him. 
He, he did something unique in us. That's what he tells us than any other of his creation. He gave us a sense of him, his nature in us, of, of, of understanding what is right and wrong on a deeper level, of, of understanding past and future, of, of having an ability to actually communicate with the God of the universe. He gave to every single one of us a sense of his nature, of his likeness. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of all that creation, the Bible says he was amazingly creative in variety. Look at what the verse says in Acts chapter 17, verse 27. And God made from one man every nation of mankind every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling there's a lot in the verse but i want you to notice that it says that all of us came from one man and obviously one woman and by the way science this is an amazing thing that has emerged over just the last few years. Science has now come to the conclusion that all of us can be traced back to one man and one woman because of DNA. All of us have a similar DNA in all of us that traces back to one man and one woman. And I told you in the second message of this whole series, be patient with science. One day it will finally catch up with the Bible. Just be patient. It is amazing, the articles that are out there now, about one man, one woman, we can all be traced back to that. From one man and one woman, God made every nation, all mankind. So stop for a moment and look at the variety that God made. See, he could have made a bunch of people exactly all look exactly the same, how boring would that be? How boring. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Look to the left of you. Look to the right of you. Look behind you. Look in front of you. Do you notice variety? I, 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 okay, obviously there's a variety of shades of skin, of, of ethnicity, of different nationalities. Yes, but all of us, even people that have got the same shade of skin as you, we all look so differently. You notice? Some are tall, some are short, some are thin, some are not as thin. People uh, look so different. Think about it. We look so different from each other. Some have a longer neck, shorter neck, bigger ears, smaller ears. All of us are so incredibly unique. That's good. That's good. It's God showing off. That's what he did. It's God showing off. That's good, Pastor. It's God saying, look, I don't just make, I don't just have one model. I am going to show you how creative I can be. Wow, that's good. And every nation, every people, every language, all are creations of God. And here's what God says. I had a plan of bringing you into being with variety and then bringing you together as one. When Christ came by his blood, he removed every barrier we create to divide us. And he did so with a desire to make us one. And 
On what basis, scripture basis, do I make that statement? Well, look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. For Jesus is himself our peace, who has made two, and in the context of the passage, Jew and Gentile, who has made two, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. One. One new humanity. Thus making peace and in this one body, meaning the church, to reconcile mankind to God through the cross. God has brought this church together, 90 different countries for crying out loud. 90 people from 90 different countries, all shades of skin, all together, 70 different languages. He has brought us together. And what keeps us together? What unifies us as a church? Well, it isn't politics, I can tell you that much. And in fact, if we were all part of the same political party, we still wouldn't be united. We'd be fighting like cats and dogs. If it is politics, we're in sorry shape. Now, there is one thing that ties us together, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. We love Jesus. We, we love his word. We love his purpose. And that's what he's saying in the very first part of the verse. For Jesus is himself our peace. And he has made all of us one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You look at what it looks like out in the world and you see all the anger, good grief, all the anger and fighting hostility and the hatred. But he said, not with my people. I want my people to come together as one and I am the reason that they come together. His purpose was to create in himself a new humanity. One people who love him, one body, the church, and to reconcile us to the blood of Jesus Christ. What God has joined together, let no man put us under. You hear that in weddings. Hear that in church. What God has joined together, let no one dare separate. Racism causes, is an expression of our rejection of how God created mankind. Second of all, racism rejects God's purpose in the world. Matthew 28 verse 19 says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's the same word. It means nationalities. It means ethnicities. And he says, I want you to go into all the world and share Christ with every single human being, no matter who they are, no matter what their ethnicity is and their, their nationality is, so that everyone will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if there's any church that's a missions church, it's this church. We've taken that very seriously. And we strive with the his, through the history of this church to reach people that do not know Christ, no matter where they live. For God so loved the world, not just us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And no, I've not heard that here, but I've heard this other places. Yeah, we need to go into to the rest of the world, share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we ought to worship separately. 
I've actually heard people in my past say that. We ought to worship separately. On what basis? Where'd that come from? I don't know if you've ever heard of the pastor Tony Evans. Tony Evans is uh, in Dallas. He's, he's, he's one of, in everything I've ever heard, he's one of the top five pastors in America of respect and people who, who uh, trust him, believe in him. He is so Bible. He is so Bible. He teaches from God's word. And he's got such the, an open heart of love towards people of, who, no matter who they are. I've gone to Tony Evans so many times, not to him personally, he wouldn't know who I was, but, but I've gone to his teaching to learn because he opens up things that I have not seen before. Mm. Tony Evans is the one who made this statement. He said, people have no problem playing sports with others across ethnic lines or even doing drugs for that matter. <laughs> even doing drugs. Don't care what color you are if we're doing drugs is what he's saying. But when it comes to having church and worshiping God, suddenly Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week in America. Hmm. Where do people get this? It doesn't come from the Bible, and I'll show you. You remember, as you think back in your memory of of the book of of Acts, you remember the church of Antioch? Early on, it's, it's in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts, early on, and it's the first church that we know about in which both Jew and Gentile worship together. A Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew, so if you're not Jewish, then you're a Gentile. And it was the first place where Jew and Gentile worship together in that church. But it was a whole lot more diverse than that. And how do I know? Well, look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1. And among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were, they had five teaching pastors. They had a teaching team. Like we've got teaching team. They had a teaching team in the church of Antioch. Five. Here's the five. Barnabas, Simeon called the black man. Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas and Paul. Now you got Barnabas and Paul and both of those are Jewish, so they would have had an olive shade of skin. You've got Simeon, who's an African. He had black skin. You have Lucius from Cyrene, and Cyrene would be modern-day Libya. That's North Africa. Now, most of the continent of Africa, are, are, uh, the people are black. But in the northern part of Africa, the people are brown. And more than likely, he would have been brown. And then you got Manian, and he was the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas. And I think it can be assumed that he was Roman. But I'm making pure assumption here, and so I'm admitting that I am. But I think it can be assumed that he was Roman. And if he was Roman, he would have been Southern European, more than likely white. They got five teaching pastors. Two Jewish, olive skin, one black, one brown, one white. Kind of looks like Sugar Creek. Kind of looks like Sugar Creek. I mean, Creek. I'm, I'm thinking about kind of looks like Sugar Creek. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And in fact, the truth is Antioch was very much like Sugar Creek. Actually, I guess we should say Sugar Creek was like Antioch. But 
But the reason is because Antioch was on what was called the King's Highway in which people traveled all over the world and they went through that pathway and it was a port city and people from all over the world would end up in Antioch, come to know Christ as Savior, stay there. They would be a part of that church and they had every ethnicity, they had every color that was known in the known world at that time. So what I'm saying is to you, Sugar Creek, It's like Antioch, the church of Antioch. When I, when I, the pastor search team of this church came to see me 20 years ago, uh, and they were there, Kathy and I welcomed them in our home in Oklahoma, and they were there and asking a lot of questions and that sort of thing. One of the questions they asked, I'd never been asked in my whole life by a pastor search committee, and I was taken off guard. I mean, they asked me this question. I, I thought, whoa, really? They asked me, the pastor search committee from this church asked me, are you a racist? I said, no. And by the way, every human being would have said no. But I quickly began to explain to them how I was taught by my parents that racism was not allowed in our home. And here's what they said. The reason is because Fort Bend County is so diverse, we do not want a lead pastor or any pastor who's a racist at Sugar Creek Baptist Church. Mm. I was so impressed. I was so impressed. 20 years ago, Sugar Creek was 93% white and 7% every, every other ethnicity. And something began to happen in this church. We've talked about it many times, like this giant magnet that was over the worship center and just people from every race and ethnicity and background began to come to this church. And now we are 50% white and we are 18% black and we are 17% Hispanic and we are 15% Asian from 90 different countries and 70 different languages. It's crazy, it's amazing. And how did this happen? We don't know other than God, but I'll tell you there's a second ingredient to it, and that is the people that were in this church had open arms and said, God, we want you to bring whomever you want to bring. Mm. And the third ingredient is people from every ethnicity opened their hearts and their arms and said, we want to worship with people of every ethnicity, ethnicity and we want to be a part of this church too. And what happened is open arms from everyone caused us to come together. Caused us to come together. That's why I, I, I would say, by the way, I talked to a guy who's a religious sociologist and he is a theologian, one of the best theologians, uh, Wayne Grudem in the country. And he and I spent some time together and he asked me an hour's worth of questions about you. And after I got through answering him, here's what he said to me. He said, there aren't five churches in America that are like Sugar Creek Baptist Church. And I didn't say it. I thought it, but I didn't want to be arrogant. There's not one other church in America like Sugar Creek. I don't even know why you would say five. What's wrong with you? There's not even another one. But I didn't say it because I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to get cocky. But here we are in Fort Bend County. There may be one or two other churches that are heavily but not anything but there's a church on every corner mm -hmm. 
So how is it that this church is so different? It's because of the open arms of the people who were here and the people who have come. And by the way, it isn't that there were white flight that went. We had about 1,600 people on average. Now we've got about 5,500 to 6,000 on average. And what's happened is, is that people began to come from every direction. And our people that were here before said, our arms are open. And people that came said, our arms are open. And we are willing to love someone that does not look like us. And if I were asked the question, I'd say, I don't, this church, if there's any church that's not a racist church, it's this church. That's how I would say it. Now, does that mean everybody in the church? No, I don't know everybody's heart. Neither do you. No, I don't know. But as a church as a whole, I've heard people, you know, you ought to hear so-and-so on Facebook and all the trashy things that they say, blah, blah, blah. This is why I'm not on Facebook. I do not need the grief. And I don't want to read the dumb things people say. And I would just, if I, if I need to read, I'll go read my Bible, but I don't want to hear all the other garbage. Okay, I'm just trying to be honest about this thing. Listen to me. By the way, you can be on Facebook. I'm not trashing that. I don't think, I don't think I am. So racism, here's the point I'm trying to make. Racism rejects God's purpose of bringing us together as one. Racism disregards God's commandment, God's commandment to love other people. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you love one another. By this shall all people know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Racism ignores God's future goal for the world. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd. Now, this is the apostle John. And he said, I saw a vast crowd. God gave him a picture of what one day would be at the end of everything. He saw the future. And I saw a vast crowd too great to count. Oh, yea, God. Too great to count. From every nation and every tribe and language and people standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. And here's my question. How did the Apostle John know they were from every nation and every language and every ethnicity? How did he know that? How did he know it? Mm. And I just imagine, this is, I'm not trying to create a new theology here. I just imagine that as he looked at the crowd, he saw every color of skin. And he heard as they sang and praised to God every language on the face of this earth. Now you gotta know, he had never seen an Hispanic so Good grief, look at these people. And he never seen an Asian. And look, good grief, look at these people. He had never seen maybe half of the ethnicities that were around the throne. But he had to be saying, oh God, you're going to do it. You're going to reach the whole world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. And people from all the world are going to be around your throne. Mm -hmm. Look at us. This is what's going to be in heaven. And I'm going to tell you, if you can't get over racism on earth, get ready for heaven. Mm. Get ready for heaven. Usually we learn racism from people that have come before us. Mm. But how about you breaking the cycle? How about you being the one who breaks the cycle and open your heart? Now the question is, Pastor Xavier, how do we break the cycle? Mm -hmm. How do we open our heart? 
I heard uh, when it comes to overcoming racism, I, I heard a comedian say, uh, if you remember the Disney movie, remember the Titans, that the key to overcoming racism is actually just football. Like if you remember that movie, then like everybody in the town was super racist, but then the football team went 4-0 and and then all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, these are our brothers. So if you're the coach of Dulles High School, go 4-0 and and then problem solved. We're all good. Everybody's good. No. I'm joking. The, the, the key, Pastor Mark, that we thought about, the key to overcoming racial discrimination is this. Racial discrimination is only overcome by spiritual transformation. Racial discrimination is only overcome by spiritual transformation. And now we're not trying to uh, Jesus juke you and say, read your Bible and you won't be racist anymore. But what, what we're saying is, if you really believe what God says about people and you really believe what God says about us all being created in his image, regardless of what we look like, you will let that truth permeate down into your being and you will let it change the way you see and interact with people and what you believe about people. Because anything else is just behavior modification. It's not actual true transformation. And the truth is that you and I can get caught up in not being perceived as racist, but not really dealing with the racist issues and prejudices that lie in our hearts. And so when I truly let the gospel permeate who I am, I will let it charge start to change how I think about people and I will let it start to change what I believe about people. I want to reference again Ephesians chapter 2 because I, I love it because Pastor Ender mentioned it last week. Pastor Juan Carlos mentioned it. Pastor Mark, you mentioned it a little bit earlier and I want to remind us of one word that was in that phrase again. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 it says he has broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. Notice that it doesn't say that he has broken down our differences that God is not coming and that Jesus did not come to unite us so that we all think the exact same thing or act the exact same way, but he wants to break down the hostility that exists because of our differences. And he wants to say, hey, I can be in a place where I have people that don't think like me, people that don't look like me, people that don't talk like me, people that don't believe like me, but publicly and in private, I can disagree with them, but still stand united that I don't have to believe like you or think like you or vote like you in order to stand united as a front. And that if I start to look down on anybody who doesn't think, vote, act, or look like me, then I've let racism and prejudice creep into my heart. And just like the weeds in my garden, if I don't deal with the fact that deep down I look down on other people, it will infect everything about my heart. Because remember, racism is not just a skin issue. It is a sin issue. You. Amen. And that if I'm willing Amen. to let it go unchecked, it can ultimately not only interfere my relationship with people, but it can interfere with my relationship with God. And see, when I let the Lord do the work in my heart, uh, there'll be two things, two byproducts of letting the Lord work in my heart. Number one, I will pursue unity. See, when I pursue unity, it doesn't mean that I simply passively wait for unity to happen. It means that I am a part of seeking unity. It means that I am 100% willing to be corrected and I am 100% willing to go seek clarity. That my first response when somebody is bringing an offense to me is not defense. That my first response is understanding and love. That's good. And that anytime I'm in a disagreement or anytime I don't understand something, I have a responsibility to go seek clarity. And if somebody would like to provide correction to me, then I have to be willing to receive that clarity and correction. Amen. I didn't ask him if I could share this, but Pastor Ender brought something to me the other day. He said, 
said, Pastor Xavier, one of the things that I don't think people see, and he and I were having a conversation about the idea of racism, and he was saying, hey man, because I have an accent, there are opportunities that I might never be given that you might be given. And I never thought about it before, but because he brought something to me that I'd never seen, rather than disagree with him, say, hey man, you're twice the preacher than I am and all of that stuff, rather than try to debate with him about those opportunities, what I said was, Pastor Ender, thank you for bringing this to me. Now, I, now that I know this, I am aware I can help you in fighting against this thing. Because once somebody brings something to me, I have a responsibility to receive clarity. And I have a responsibility to receive correction. And so pursuing unity isn't about absolving tension. And it isn't about not celebrating differences. Pursuing unity is regardless of tension and regardless of differences, I can stand united in Christ. I can let Christ be the unifying factor in our relationship. The second thing about um, if I really truly let the Lord transform my heart is that I will put my kingdom identity, here's the bullet point, pursue kingdom identity over earthly identity. Now, it doesn't mean that I lose my earthly identity. It doesn't mean that now all of a sudden when I'm a Christian, I don't see color. Pastor Mark, you mentioned that the Lord wants us to celebrate all of the differences that we have. We don't want you to be colorblind. And even if you are colorblind, I hope that you see that I'm a little bit darker gray than Pastor Mark is. But, but the point is, we, don't, we aren't here to get rid of our differences. We're here to celebrate them. But I can't let my difference become so large that I'm willing to put it over my beliefs about Jesus. Amen. I can't get so caught up in language and so caught up in this thing and that thing or so caught up in my political party or so caught up in where I'm from or where I was born that I let it get in the way of me pursuing unity with my brothers in Christ. Amen. I can't let differences in anything. I can't put any identity over my earthly identity, whether that's black or white or whatever ethnicity it is. I cannot put that over my earthly identity. Amen. I can't put my identity as a UT fan just because they saw Arch what? Manning as a, basically the second no, no, coming no, of Jesus. I can't put that over. I, okay, I my, was tracking with you uh, until... <laughs> Until we went way off. Okay, I, I don't okay. know where you're going. I, I didn't write that part. He just signed. It was just, I had to slide that in there. The point is, I can't put that over my identity in Christ. Even though there are things that, are vi that, that cause me to react emotionally or things that I want to believe because how I was brought up, I have to put all of those things aside in order to pursue unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Family, as we, as we wrap this up today, I'm reminded of when I dealt with the weeds in my own garden or in my own yard that I had to apply both a post-emergent and a pre-emergent herbicide. And if you're a garden expert and I accidentally created a bomb, don't tell me because my yard <laughs> looks great. Just drive by and admire like the rest of my neighborhood does. Um, I had to apply and admit that I had to do some work when no one was watching. It meant that in the moments that I saw the weeds, I had to pluck them. But even when I didn't see them present, I had to go and treat what could grow later. And family, you and I have a responsibility not only to pluck the racism out of our lives, but to treat the prejudice that could grow and cause problems That's later. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, so how do I do that? I want to give you six things, and I know it sounds like we have a long time left, but I'm just going to give them to you real quick, and you can choose whichever one or couple you want to start this week. But they, these are things we can do right now to move us into a new era of overcoming, and as the sermon title says, rejecting 
racism. And number one is this, to avoid generalizations. Things like if I think that English is equated with intelligence, that's a, that's a generalization. It's not true. If I think that black people are somehow more aggressive or likely to commit, crime, commit crimes than any other races, that's a generalization. It's simply not true. If I believe deep down that Asian people are smarter than any other race, that's a generalization. If I believe that all white people are racist, if I'm surprised by somebody's lack of accent just because they're a different color, then those are all generalizations. And every Every generalization has the ability to grow into prejudice, which grows into racism. And if I don't deal with the generalizations that I believe about different people, I will find myself slowly creeping towards racism. And I have to do the work of avoiding generalizations. Number two is I have to celebrate differences. There is nothing wrong with being proud of where I'm born or proud of my skin tone or color. And as I see other people celebrating those things, I should celebrate with them that them celebrating their difference is not an attack on me being different from them. And I have to give people the space and show people that because we are different, it is God literally showing how powerful powerful he is and how much he can do. Number three, I have to call out racism when I see it. Call out racism when you see it. We're not going to go down this rabbit hole, but if you think about every other moral issue we've covered, Christians have taken a forefront and a stand as this is what God wants, not only for me, but for my country, my neighborhood, and for my region. And we have to do the exact same thing with racism. And say that when I see it, this is not of God and this is not what God wants. I don't allow racist jokes, racist comments, racist undertones. I have to take a stand and call out racism in people around me the same way that I would do other moral issues. Now, I use grace and love and truth and wisdom, but I have to take a stand. Number two or number four, rather, fellowship with someone who looks different than you. Look around. You have people all around you. And then ask yourself the question, when was the last time I shared a meal with someone who doesn't look like me? When was the last time we let our kids hang out together? When was the last time I asked them about their upbringing upbringing or their story or their background? I'm from North Carolina. I'm learning so much about Texas and and even more so, I'm learning about this this amazing new place that I didn't even know existed. Louisiana is just different. I'm sorry if you're from Louisiana. You're just different. Um, But it's great. I'm, I'm learning all about it. Number five, recognize personal prejudice. And number six, make Jesus your point of unity. Family, you and I, literally, if you think you and me, we could sit down and all of us will have a conversation and we will never agree on all of the things all of the time. We will never see the same thing. The only thing on this earth we could be united in is Jesus Christ himself. That's right. And we have to use that as our point of unity. That's right. What do you think, Pastor? Yeah, I think you're right. I don't have anything to add to this except there's one thing, Pastor uh, Xavier and I, as we were preparing for this message and just spending time together, we read a book together by Tony Evans. I mentioned him earlier, just an incredible man of God. Tony Evans wrote a book called Kingdom Race Theology. Mm. 
kingdom race theology. The books, we just bought a bunch of those books because we, we read it. We felt like it had some strong things to say. We want to make that available to you. And here's where this is how this book emerged. Last summer, Tony Evans was teaching in his church about the issues of the day, and it was on Wednesday night. I got the two recordings. Uh, it just, it, they're just uh, audio, they're not video, but I got the two recordings. He was dealing with critical race theory, with uh, the two Black Lives Matter. There is a Black Lives Matter organization. There's a Black Lives Matter movement. And he was dealing with both of those that are separate. And then he was dealing with the 1619 Project and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And he was teaching his church what this was actually about. And I got the recordings and I put his recordings on the QR code. I, I wish that you would listen to them. I, I gave them to all of our deacons. We had a great conversation together as a deacon body. Tony Evans says this whole critical race theory is going in the wrong direction. It's not going to end up well. And he said the better thing to go with is the, is the kingdom race theology. And he uses the Ephesians chapter two passage and he talks about how is it that we are to have relationships across ethnic lines in a way that honors God and, and in, not in a way that destroys. Mm. So we got the book, we read the book. We heard his recordings, we read the book. I hope that you'll do the same. I wanna encourage you to do it. Now, I'm not saying that I agree with everything in the book. I've never read one book I agreed with everything in it except the Bible, and there are some things I wish the Bible didn't say. I'm kidding. That's a, I'm teasing. I'm just teasing with that. Don't quote me out of here. But isn't that right? There's some things the Bible say, and you say, oh me, oh no, oh no. Because it requires change. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I agree with everything in this book. I enjoyed reading the book. It opened my eyes about some things, some things I'd have some questions for him, but I encourage you to read the book. Mm -hmm. I think it would be a blessing help. Now we've got the books out on all three of our campuses for $10. It includes tax that we've got to take care of and all that. It includes everything. And here's what I didn't mention to anybody who is handling the, the tables. And that is if you cannot afford that book, get one anyway. We're going to give you the book. If you can't afford $10, we're going to give you the book anyway. And none of them know that, so you have to tell them that I, I mentioned that. <laughs> Pastor Mark said. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I usually create some problem somewhere. So let's bow together for prayer. Father, we come to you today. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, we thank you for the opportunity to deal with all these issues. Yes, God. And we just ask, Father, you'd move in our hearts and help us and grow us. Mm -hmm. We want to be more like Jesus and help us to be. Mm -hmm. Father, I pray for those who don't know yet Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. They'd give the heart to Jesus. Those who are not members of this church, but they should be, and there's a sense in their heart, I belong here. This is, this is my church home, that they would make that decision. Mm -hmm. Move in our hearts to say yes to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.